Oh, you guys were quick today. Look at you. Boom. Good morning. I was joking with John. Um, I knew it was going to get cold. I was like, I feel like I should show up in my snow pants. Um, Because that's like my thing, but I didn't. I'm wearing my sweater. You know, it's good enough. Um, It's really good to gather together. Um, I was just telling John, I I hate interrupting like this part of our gathering. It just like this part of the gathering where we're like all chatting and I can hear the buzz, like it just makes my heart happy. So I just thought I would say that. Um, So anyway, you all make my heart happy. It's good to be uh, in community together here. Um, Yeah. Over the last few years, um, I have experienced with increasing frequency the good news what I consider through mutual sharing of burdens or what might be considered weight. That weight might be emotional weight, spiritual weight, physical or mental. Lifting and dispersing that which is painful or difficult or unjust, okay? Or just whatever burdens are on uh, myself and those around me. Every experience, of course, is unique. um, And they take on different forms. Just in the last two weeks, I was kind of surveying for myself, mostly, as an example of like how varied these experiences can be. Just in the last two weeks, what these forms have taken on. It has looked like sharing meals and gifts with those who are sick or having babies, praying with and extending care to a neighbor going through divorce, encouraging friends looking for new jobs, Listening to friends share their burdens and their joys. Learning the stories of my neighbors who have endured economic injustice and racial harm. Lamenting the hard things happening in our world. Shootings, racial violence, transphobia, war, the backpedaling of women's rights. And sometimes lament is coupled with quite a bit of rage, maybe just internally even for myself. Praying with friends and four friends, one who was kidnapped in Haiti as I communicated with her father. Walking with and building relationships with BIPOC and white colleagues who continue to fight for racial reconciliation and justice where they are. Sharing the good news happening in our partner villages through New Hope. Helping a good friend in Europe get home to see family in Turkey she hasn't seen in eight years. I've also enjoyed the hospitality of my Muslim neighbors quite frequently. I've received care from friends as I navigate my own family dynamics and cycles of grief within my extended family. And those in my household have joined in planting the garden, making me some really good food, or watching the sunrise with me, just little things. All of the ways that we lift and disperse the weight come in so many forms, and so I want to not box you in to the way that you think about that this morning. In each of these moments, though, I notice the truth that is experienced in lifting and dispersing the weight. As my Haitian friends might say, it's What's stamped into one of my bracelets here, and I've been wearing it, it means, with many hands, the burden is not heavy. It's a Haitian proverb. 
mint on peel, chai powder. Today we're going to continue in our series on spiritual care in the Trinity Collective. Perhaps we are redefining what spiritual care looks like as we extend care in a way of being that is rooted in, motivated, and shaped by our faith. We're considering ourselves as a collective of people who find belonging not only in our parishes, but as we gather together here, networked across the city in a way where boundaries of us versus them are erased. In this way, we engage in being the church in a way that prioritizes relationships in which there's mutuality, generating space for the spirit to transform our hearts and lives that we and our neighbors might experience the good news. This week, we're going to focus uh, that experience of the good news on lifting and dispersing the weight in our New Testament lectionary text for today comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is just part of a story, and I'm going to stick with just the part of the story. I am <laughs> um, actually going to read it through twice from the First Nations version, partially because it's short. Um, also, I, because I'm reading it from the First Nations version, and um, they do a really great job of like exegesis in their own uh, translation, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, so that's part of the reason I'm going to read it twice. And I want you to just listen. Listen to the terms. Listen to the names of places and people and what's happening and just pay attention. Um, and then afterwards, I'm going to invite Albert Zhang up to dialogue here with me about this theme. All right? So first time through, if you happen to have the text in front of you, just listen. And then the second time through, I'll stop along the way, sharing a few things. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. A short time later, Creator Sets Free, who is Jesus, went again to Village of Peace in Jerusalem to another traditional feast for all the tribes of wrestles with Creator, Israel. In Village of Peace, which is Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was a water hole with five covered porches called House of Kindness, Bethesda, in our tribal language. Under these porches lay a great number of people who were sick, blind, or could not walk or stand. They were waiting for the swirling of the water because from time to time, a spirit messenger would go down into the water hole and make the water swirl. Then the first one to get into the water would be healed. A man was there who had been ill for 38 winters. Creator sets free, who is Jesus, saw him lying there and knew that he had been sick for a long time. He asked him, do you want to be healed? Honored one, the man answered. When the water swirls, there is no one to help me into the water, and someone else gets there first. Get up, creator sets free, said to the man. Roll up your sleeping bundle and walk. The man felt his body begin to change. Strength rushed into his legs and arms. Right then, the man was healed. He got up, rolled up his bundle, and walked. Creator sets free, healed this man on the day of resting. A short time later, Creator sets free, who is Jesus, went again to Village of Peace, to another traditional feast for all the tribes of wrestles with Creator. 
In Village of Peace, near the Sheep Gate, there was a water hole with five covered porches called House of Kindness, Bethesda in our tribal language. Now, Bethesda is an interesting spot, this, um, this water hole. And this area has double significance. It's not only the site of this miracle that's unfolding, but it is also thought to be the birthplace of Mary. Under these porches lay a great number of people who were sick, blind, or could not walk or stand. They were waiting for the swirling of the water because from time to time a spirit messenger would go down into the water hole and make the water swirl. Then the first one to get in the water would be healed. A man was there who had been ill for 38 winters. Creator sets free, saw him lying there, and knew that he had been sick for a long time, and he asked him, do you want to be healed? Some of the translations will use the phrase, do you want to be made whole? Honored one, the man answered, when the water swirls, there is no one to help me into the water, and someone else gets there first. This part really stuck out to me in the text this week. Someone gets in first. So often those who are marginalized or experiencing injustice or desire healing of some sort are simply passed over. They're passed by. Sometimes the systems of inequity and injustice persist on large scales with every single act that make up the whole. This is what is shared by Adrienne Marie Brown in her book, Emergent Strategy, when she says, what we practice at the small scale sets the pattern for the whole system. Get up, creator sets free, said to the man. Roll up your sleeping bundle and walk. The man felt his body begin to change. Strength rushed into his legs and arms. Right then, the man was healed. He got up, rolled up his bundle, and walked. Creator sets free, healed this man on the day of resting. This is the day of resting. It is a religious day in which even the law would prohibit the carrying of one's bed mat. So Jesus' actions here are sparking more and more toward his arrest and crucifixion. There's a lot more to this story, but at this point, what's interesting to know is the man who is healed isn't really paying attention to who Jesus is. He doesn't really know Jesus, apparently. Because as he's healed, he just kind of goes along his way. But the man ends up going to the temple, if we keep reading. The man ends up at the temple, presumably to be declared healed by the temple authorities so he can return to life and community and restored to it. And he eventually bears witness that it is Jesus who healed him. Because Jesus, too, went to the temple that day. A place in which even as he speaks and teaches, I can only imagine and assume that he might discharge whatever negative energy is stored in his body as he goes to this gathering space. There are a lot of other instances in Scripture where we can see quite clearly Jesus attending to his own self-care to be sustained in ministry as he experiences the difficulty of lifting and dispersing the weight of those around him. And this discharging of negative energy or stress is an integral part of lifting and dispersing the weight that we carry. 
But what I find interesting about this account is that it happens on the day of rest, and it reflects how what we do on the day of rest patterns our lives. Yes, what we practice at the small scale sets the pattern for the whole system. And we begin to experience the good news found in Men Ampil Shai Palu. With many hands, the burden is not heavy. And this is the pattern that Jesus invites us to follow on Creator's Good Road, extending care to our neighbors so that all might experience the good news. I've asked Albert to come up and share with us. We're going to have a bit of a conversation, and you all get to witness it. That's the best way to describe this. And as I said before, if you've been here when we've done this, um, this is not like rehearsed. We're not going to tie a nice bow on it. We've not talked about this, so this will be exciting for me, um, as hopefully it is for you. Um, And yeah, I don't know where we're going to go exactly, but he has a few prompts, which I'll uh, prompt him with. But I hope that you being bearing witness to this conversation provides both a bit of encouragement and some challenge as we go into the rest of our weeks, as we consider what it looks like to lift and disperse the weight. All right. Thanks for being willing to talk. Yeah. I'm so excited. It does work. John will turn it up if he wants you to be louder. <laughs> uh, I'm nervous. Oh, you I don't do that. I was telling Melissa before all this, we, I knew I was going to come up here, but we didn't discuss it that much. So I feel like this is a very grown-up thing to do. <laughs> Because I've watched grown-ups been interviewed, like in church, so uh, I feel like I'm a grown-up now. (laughs) And you can be a kid up here too, so it's totally cool. (laughs) Oh goodness, yeah. So um, thank you for being willing to come up. Um, The first question that I have for you, as I was kind of thinking about um, this conversation, is: Will you just share a story or an experience where you have lifted and dispersed the weight? Maybe. Um, responding to the, the neighbors that you have around you who might, who might be saying, um, there's no one there to put me in the pool. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, I'm going to answer this question using my job as the illustration, partially because uh, we'll dig into my personal life a little bit later, uh, but also because I think that my job is particularly fitting for this theme of lifting and dispersing weight of neighbors. Um, So for those of you that don't know, I'm a pediatric emergency medicine fellow at Riley. So what that means is I finished my residency in pediatrics, so I'm certified to be a general pediatrician, but I'm doing additional training to become an emergency pediatrician. Um, I'm about one year into my program. I have two more years left. Um, And after two years, I'll be able to practice independently as an emergency pediatrician. Um, So sort of in thinking about this question, Um, I thought about my work and also the emergency department, which I'll refer to as the ED because it's easier to say. (laughs) Um, And the ED is a very interesting place uh, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's open 24-7. So well after the clinics close um, on a weekday or on nights and weekends and holidays, we're always open. Um, We are legally prohibited from turning anyone away. So anyone who walks through the door, adult, a child, for whatever reason, uh, we are legally obligated to see them. Um, Riley is also Indiana's pediatric referral center, so any kid that needs help beyond what their local hospital can offer them gets sent to us. So as a result, we see basically every single sick child in Indiana. (laughs) Um, As a result, the ED 
it's Riley's ED specifically is kind of a place where people come and unload their problems. Um, whether or not their child is sick, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, but they often use their children sort of as the canvas on which they project a lot of their fears and insecurities. Um, that is definitely the most difficult and varied and probably the most interesting part of my work. Um, I made a list of sort of the things that I will see on a daily basis. Um, I see parents worried about a new sound their baby makes or a new movement that their baby does. I've seen parents who've heard about a specific therapy that they really think that their kids need. Um, I've had caregivers who want a second or third or fourth opinion, or they're just at a loss for where to go to get answers for their child's symptoms. Um, I've had a lot of parents bring their teenagers in asking us to test their kids for drugs. Um, I've had children, I've had parents bring children in who threaten themselves or assault themselves and their other children. I've had parents coming in asking for evidence of abuse that they can use against their ex-spouse in court. I was once asked by a father how to tell his wife that their child had died. Mm. And the list goes on and on. So as a result, communication really is probably the most important tool I have. Um, so lifting dispersing weight often means sitting down with the caregivers, with the parents, really listening to what's going on, to what is underlying their fear and worry, and negotiating a plan that's both emotionally edifying and mentally sound. Thank you. This is a previous conversation you and I have had, but as you're telling your list, I thought of scissors. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, he sees uh, all the things. I had a girl who uh, cut herself because she was running with scissors. Do you have anything else to share related to how that lifting and dispersing the weight, like talking or, or just listening um, to caregivers might extend to your neighbors? Is that, I assume that's like a skill I've experienced from you. Um, but just um, curious about that piece. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, communication is such an important part of my job because those skills do, you know, transfer to real life. Um, I, before medical school, I was also a uh, fundraiser for an orphan care nonprofit in Madison. So I was sort of trained in networking as well. And one of the first rules of networking that I learned <laughs> is to get the other person to talk as much as possible because that way when you swoop in at the end, you can use everything that they've said <laughs> to like, you know, benefit yourself uh, <laughs> uh, or your organization. Um, but I feel like uh, knowing how to ask good questions and just really being quiet and listening is a skill that has uh, carried from my work into my life outside of work yeah. in really useful and uh, relieving and therapeutic and yeah. lifting and dispersing ways. Will you um, describe what the good news or what healing uh, maybe feels and looks like as you both extend care or receive care? Uh, another way to say that is just where do you notice the spirit um, at work? Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to answer this question using examples from my professional and personal life. And I feel like the places that I get to see the most healing are the places when 
both other people and myself learn to live with tension. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain what that means um, uh, in my examples. But I think learning to live with tension gives space for the Holy Spirit to work. And I'll give uh, my examples. So in the ED, like I said, lots of communication. And a lot of the communication that I do is around uncertainty. Um, so often, if we're fortunate enough to arrive at a diagnosis, we arrive at the diagnosis without a specific test for that diagnosis, right? So if you think of like a typical cold or a stomach flu, right? We generally don't swab every single kid mm -hmm. that comes in, you know, COVID notwithstanding, but um, we listen to what the parents have to say, we examine the patient, and we sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together and say, this is what, it, this is what your child likely has, and this is what your child likely does not have, right? So there's a lot of uh, sort of uh, presenting the pieces of the puzzle to the family and being like, this is most likely what is going on with your kid. So that involves a lot of uh, trust building, for sure. Um, and that especially applies when I either send a kid home or admit a kid without a specific diagnosis, right? So. Uh, in that case, it's even more important that I establish a trusting relationship and either reassure the parents that they're safe to go home and give them next steps or explain to them why they need to come into the hospital so they can be watched um, under the care of doctors and nurses. Um, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't go that well, but oftentimes when uh, the communication is there and the parents or caregivers really, really trust you, uh, that relationship in itself is very therapeutic and very, very rewarding. In my personal life, uh, learning to live with tension has probably been most prominent in the way that I've had to uh, navigate my relationships after I came out as gay. Um, I grew up uh, in very traditional evangelical churches, but I've also lived almost exclusively in like liberal urban bubbles. So you can imagine when I came out in 2016, the sort of range of responses I had were all over the place. Um, I definitely had people who, uh, no one, no one outright condemned me or anything like that, but there were definitely some relationships where it was kind of clear that there was no way forward um, to, to relate to each other. Um, on the other extreme, you know, there are people who were very affirming, which is wonderful, but some so fervently so that they just couldn't see mm -hmm. how I could maintain relationships with anyone who was not affirming. But I think the learning to live with tension and um, uh, he having healing through that existed in those relationships. So in relationships with people who were ultimately non-affirming, but were willing to have dialogue and negotiate boundaries, which uh, was often painful. Um, some days I have energy to deal with those relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, some days I don't, but it's in the tension of nurturing those relationships that I feel like I've had and felt the most healing. Mm. Um, as I reconciled my faith and sexuality and decided to maintain these relationships, I realized that my identity and worthiness and belovedness are not defined by the way that people perceive my sexual orientation. I realized that I'm strong enough to articulate feelings of betrayal and brokenheartedness mm -hmm. um, and negotiate boundaries in ways that are not self-destructive or mutually destructive. Mm -hmm. And most wonderfully, I've been able to see the gradual softening of hearts. Mm -hmm. um, over time, I've had uh, sort of really tense conversations go toward calm, mm -hmm. disagreeing conversations. And I've also had one person come to me and say that they changed their mind about God's uh, perception of same-sex relationships as well. So that is what is healing, right? Seeing the mm -hmm. 
Holy Spirit work in like silent, inexplicable, supernatural ways um, and being present to, to the weird stuff. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I, the trust piece sticks out to me, like building that trust so that you can even be in that tension, right? And um, that's like a slow, difficult, and often painful work um, to build the trust and to be willing to, to stay in relationship and be able to to describe what boundaries are necessary and, and all of those things. But without that tension, without that trust, also we often will miss, right, that softening that happens um, in us and between us. Um, and yeah, it's just so beautiful. Um, and very healing, yeah. Yeah, so. it's a very uh, fine line to walk that is really yeah. a day-to-day -day, yeah. negotiation with other people and within myself as well. Yeah. Um, I talk a little bit about this in the next question, but I think, yeah, the beauty of uh, healing can only happen if there is, you know, some sort of hurt or brokenness. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important to highlight that some days you don't have energy to deal with something. Like, yeah. that is like the thing that is necessary to be able to voice in any sort of healing process too. Um, so yeah, I just want to highlight that too. So I'm like, yes, we've yes, we've talked about this, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, will you also share with us how you might discharge the weight or the stress that um, you take on in order to sustain, uh, sustain this, this work of lifting and dispersing the weight, um, both personally and professionally? Like, yeah. yeah. How do you um, discharge that negative energy? Because <laughs> uh, you can't carry it. It's true. Yeah. Uh, not all the time. Uh, so going back to what we just talked about, I've, in sort of learning to live with tension, I've also become very aware of the cycle of tension and release in my life. Um, and the natural rhythm of work and rest is kind of sometimes built into my life or sort of out of my control, right? Like with my, <laughs> work, with my work schedule. Um, but when I do have control over it, I really make sure to have that rhythm. There's actually physiologic evidence of this, that experiencing pain increases the number of pleasure receptors in your body. And the same is true vice versa. So in people who experience chronic pleasure, right, like through long-term opioid use, for instance, the number of pain receptors in their body actually goes up and makes them more sensitive to pain as well. So knowing that the sweetness of rest and pleasure only exists in contrast to conflict and toil and tension and tiredness is really, really important. So there are some daily things that I do to do this. Um, so like taking cold showers, uh, there's actually uh, evidence that shows that cold showers increases your <laughs> mental health. Only, I only do this when the weather is hot. Or going to the gym, going for a run, uh, looking for uphill hikes in nature, mm. which is not uh, not easy Oof, to uphill. do. Uh, yeah. um, there's some other semi-regular practices like I do that I do, like going to therapy, um, having like a really intense, painful deep tissue massage that feels really good afterwards. Uh, but probably the most impactful practice, sort of like on a scale of my life, is having extended vacations. Mm -hmm. um, amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Specifically, vacations with geographic separation mm -hmm. to really sort of get that release from mm -hmm. daily life. So I really need that juxtaposition of tension and rest in order to, in order to sustain. Um, this also applies to my relationship with God. Um, I grew up, like I said, in traditional evangelical churches. 
And there were really a lot of good things about those churches, but there were also some not very good things. Uh, one of them was an environment of toxic positivity, where basically <laughs> they said that if you were properly following God, then you should always be experiencing like calm and peace, kind of regardless of your circumstance. Um, and there was often also condemnation of doubt, which is often more unhelpful and damaging than it was encouraging toward faith. So basically it seemed like those church environments didn't leave any room for tension. Mm. Um, so therefore, the tension that I feel between my faith and various aspects of my life is important to my spiritual development. Um, I'm an Enneagram type two, uh, which means that my vice is pride. And I feel like my pride is at its worst when I feel that I'm holy or like have it all figured out. That is not to say I intentionally engage in patterns, in, in patterns of sin but it is important that I'm constantly wrestling with God and questioning everything that he has for me and other people in the world and the environment that he gave me. Um, and all of this is of course done alongside friends in the context of community. Uh, my friends are really the most important people in my life and they're the ones that I'm able to be vulnerable and authentic with, um, which is why I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you. You're welcome. Lovely, just lovely. Mm. Can I pray? Of course. Turn on the ball. God, you hold us in the midst of the tension that we feel in the world, and you invite us into that space to recognize that both pain and suffering, and joy, and celebration play off of one another. We do not have to be afraid of hard things, of the weight that we might need to carry, of the weight of our neighbors. And we don't need to spiritually bypass uh, those things. God, I thank you um, for the witness of my sibling, Albert, here this morning. May your spirit continue uh, to work in and through him and among us as we carry what he has shared with us today into our week. That we might join together in spirit on your good road in these patterns of work and rest, of lifting and also discharging the weight that we carry. Thank you for your faithfulness in being present to us. Might we be faithfully present to you in our neighbors, and in ourselves. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I love that you can be a kid or an adult, whatever you choose up here. Um, <laughs> thanks, Albert. You all may turn in your bulletin to the Lord's Table Liturgy. And um, the elements are allergen, gluten-free, not allergen-free. Um, also, I know some of these packages are hard to get open, so I like to just joke, like, we can just, like, enjoy the sacredness of the fumble. 
Um, and the packaging now on top of that, the sound. Um, it's just a just fun little mix of things happening. Uh, also, we are going to just play a song if you would like to sing along with it.